Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome to the Red Box Politics Podcast in the Times. I'm Matt Chorley. What does a special advisor do? A SPAD. We've heard a lot about it uh, in the news over the last few days. Well, I'm delighted to be joined by three people who know better than anyone because they've just left government and they're going to lift the lid and give us all of their uh, air, all the dirty laundry in public. I'm delighted to be joined by uh, Salma Shah, former special advisor to Sajid Javid at the Home Office, the Business Department and the Ministry of Housing. James Johnson was the pollster in Number 10, telling Theresa May how terribly well the public viewed everything that was going on. And Paul Harrison, Theresa May's former press secretary, who I once described as the face of the crumbling regime in the lobby, and he only agreed to come on if I repeated that. I assume you've now got that on business cards. I think that, yeah, I'm getting the printed at the moment. It seems exactly exactly appropriate. <laughs> Excellent. So um, let's start then with the first sort of fa- fairly straightforward question, because we've heard a lot about special advisers and who's in charge of them and what they do, because Dominic Cummings has gone into number 10, working for Boris Johnson, supposedly taking control of all SPADs under the sun. So what does a SPAD do? Let's start with you, Salma. A SPAD does really what their minister wants them to do, and I think you will never find two SPADs alike. Um, and it's more of an art form than it is a science, I've always felt. And normally the breakdown is that you have um, a SPAD that looks after policy and a SPAD that looks after communications. And in theory, that should work, but it never really does. I was more focused on the comm side, but actually you do get um, pulled into doing things that are more policy orientated or operationally orientated or basically just whatever the minister is doing at the time. So it's a bit of a it's a bit of an all, all job kind of position. And, and essentially the... Cabinet Minister is the only political person at the top of the organisation and they, they can't be in every meeting, yeah. they can't be across every bit of paper and so you're just a sort of an extension of them and yeah. what it is that they want to do. Well, actually, it's not necessarily just an extension of them, I've, I've found, and actually you guys might disagree with me, but I think it's it's kind of looking at the stuff that they just don't have the time to look at. So if it's just you know being able to have a, a read of the newspapers in the morning or understand how things are moving in broadcast... Or, you know, if they think something is happening in the department, it's your job to make sure that that's actually happening in the department. <laughs> is that not always the case? No, are you surprisingly? It's, it, <laughs> I found that it's not always the case. Paul, your yes. job was to be the political voice of the Prime Minister, is distinct from the civil service official spokesman. Yeah, so I was also as bad in the department. I spent nearly four years working for Jeremy Hunter Health, so I have sort of seen it from both sides, but... Uh, at number 10, uh, the Prime Minister of the day has two 
spokesman. They happen to be both men in this case, uh, James Slack, who's the official spokesman, and then me, the press secretary, which is a political appointment. And yeah, it means, well, for the first, you have the most terrifying, when you first do the job, you have the most terrifying Wednesday afternoon that anyone's had in an office where you, the PM does PMQs, and then afterwards you're confronted with 30 or 40 journalists, including uh, the host of this podcast, who put down a dictaphone in front of you, and you have to try to explain what it is that's just happened and why everything really is going extremely well. That's what's known as a huddle. That's a huddle. And you're right. So basically, you have to be on top of every answer the Prime Minister's just given, which sometimes, actually probably less so with Theresa May, who was quite good at seeing the script, but I suspect your successor will suddenly find whole new government positions have been taken which they had less expected. (laughs) But also, you then have to answer questions on everything the Prime Minister wasn't asked about. Yes. Something in the news or something in the, you know, doing the rounds. And so you need to not only be across what you do know the Prime Minister thinks about, but the things that you haven't yet asked her. I mean, certainly there have been, in anticipation of things that the lobby will ask, and that those on-the-record briefings are, are odd because, firstly, you're not allowed to go until the journalists are done, essentially. So, you know, it finishes when they have run out of questions to ask you and you don't have any control over that. And, you know, <laughs> it's a special form of talk. And it's all on the record and there's nothing that can't be asked. There's no agreement about what questions you're going to get. Uh, you have no sight of it whatsoever. So sometimes you end up asking things which you think will come up because you know that you'll need an answer and you can't say, I don't know. Uh, What's the worst that you've ever had? Well, I've had lots of strange ones. So I remember once there was a... It was the, just before, I think, we were going to play Croatia in the semi-finals of the Men's World Cup. And it was a Wednesday and one of the hacks just said, Paul, does the PM think it's coming home? <laughs> I got I got asked whether she'd ever had a McDonald's after we'd published the Childhood Obesity Strategy. Um, what was the answer? She had, because she'd opened one in her constituency. <laughs> <laughs> that is so on brand for Theresa May. Just supporting a local business in, the, in Maidenhead. Exactly, yeah, nothing yeah. she wouldn't do for the people of Maidenhead. But yeah, lots of things like that. And I also, because I thought when we were in nominations and votes in the leadership contest that's just concluded, obviously given us a new Prime Minister, I thought people would be essentially sceptical about the idea that she hadn't told anybody so just if we had we have a sort of 11 o'clock final meeting before pmqs on a wednesday which is always my opportunity to get anything else that i need and i said have you even told philip your husband and um, she just looked absolutely aghast and said no absolutely not (laughs) (laughs) quite proper And at least, and the thing is, people would believe that as well. It wasn't like you'd, yeah. you'd, uh, she'd be blabbing to everyone and you had to go out and, and tell a lie, which obviously a spad would never do. Um, James, your job is slightly different in that you weren't interacting with people like me all the time, but you were basically breaking good and bad news to the boss. Yeah, so I basically ran the polling programme, so uh, running the sort of monthly polls, uh, doing the focus groups, getting out there. I now am the expert on the interiors of holiday inns up and down this country, as I've been to so many of them, uh, to talk, <laughs> talk, 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 talk to the public. It's quite, it was quite a strange job because um, it hadn't actually existed before in Number 10. Um, so, you know, um, press secretaries have always sort of been there, the departmental spads have always been there. It was quite weird because usually um, uh, political parties would hire 
upholsters from outside, whereas actually we brought it in-house. Um, so it was quite a strange thing to sort of build from, from scratch, and I'm not actually sure that the new administration have carried it over either. It's obviously a very good reflection on how well, how well, <laughs> how well I did. Um, but it was a... Uh, we <laughs> but it was, it, was, it was a great job. I mean, it was a very strange job because uh, I, I sort of acted as that conduit between um, the public and, and the Prime Minister. Um, and it's quite surreal because I don't think there's any other job where you have to write, because obviously so much of how communication with the Prime Minister is, is done is through box notes. So, you know, box that she gets every evening and, and notes that go into it from her staff. Um, and there's not many jobs where you have to sort of say, your approval rating is... X is down X from last month, and that must be a very surreal thing 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 to read. And um, and and the former prime minister, as as, as you all know, Paul isn't uh, sort of didn't didn't always write copious amounts on on the box notes. Um, so you'd sort of get a tick or or a couple of comments, and you'd always be thinking, goodness, what must you be thinking when you're told how popular you are? I wouldn't want to have that. Always very popular, I thought. <laughs> <laughs> and so, was were you ever tempted? I mean, presumably, if you start sort of trying to put a positive gloss on it it sort of defeats the point of your job you're you have got to be straight with what's going on even though it's basically nobody likes you again and it's worse than last week well, yeah, I mean, it wasn't quite that bad. <laughs> um, I do remember taking great glee in, uh, in in telling the PM how well her dancing went down, um, which the which the focus group absolutely loved, um, despite it being a completely impromptu uh, impromptu I thing. I was on that trip. <laughs> so that was the trip in Africa. That was Africa. Yeah. yeah, 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 and then the conference dancing as well. Um, so, but- so was the conference dancing born out of the fact that you reported back that the public loved it? I don't. I think I. I, I thought that she she chosen that herself. I can't. Based, I, I wasn't involved in that. Based on the facial expressions of everybody in the green room, uh, which includes her husband, I think we can conclude that it was a surprise. To so she hadn't told us. anyone. Certainly hadn't told me, and uh, I always in that conference environment, I usually have pretty much the last word with her before she goes on stage because I have to ask what she's wearing. <laughs> Uh, because that's one of the questions you get afterwards. But uh, but no, it was, I think it was genuinely a surprise to everybody. So the plan was that you knew she was going to walk out to Dance the Queen. Yeah, she likes that, that song. She, she loves Abba. Um, yeah, but the it was, yeah, it was the Africa trip that where it first yeah, it happened. First became memes. We'd flown. It was twelve hours to South Africa, and we got off the plane. And because the trip schedules she tended to agree to were usually fairly punishing, we had an hour in a hotel to have a shower, and then we went straight to this school, which was in a township. Uh, in South Africa and the response from the kids was amazing but there will somewhere I'm sure be sort of b-roll of me thankfully sort of shielding my hands and saying to uh, the deputy spokeswoman uh, Ali who was on the trip with us just she's dancing she's dancing Uh, (laughs) (laughs) and just knowing that you know but the public loved it, and you know it was it was something, and it was some it was a, you know a difficult thing with with former prime minister, whereby people didn't see that human side that we saw every, mm. every day, and you know how, how funny true. she was, how self deprecating she was, and that dancing sort of actually showed an ability to sort of you know take the mick out of herself a bit, and people quite liked that. Yeah. that I, think side. I think that was also true for some of the of the Westminster types as well, because. Quite often, people don't see that actually our interactions with our colleagues in number 10 are quite limited. And so when you see something like that, it sort of cheered the rest of us as well. And I think, yeah. you know, there was, there was quite a lot of people um, in, in this bad world that, that enjoyed seeing her in that in that yeah. way because it, it had been quite yeah. grueling and quite punishing generally. So Definitely. So and also just do a thought experiment the other way. She's confronted by loads of really enthusiastic kids playing music, playing drums, shouting, dancing, moving around. Had she stood there with her arms folded, yeah, I know what you would have written. Yeah, uh, so <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, exactly. And that would have... Uh, but then I suppose, what what is it... Maybe it was just all of those things, the long trip, the tiredness, the music, you know, the the fact that we saw more of the private person in public that we didn't normally... The, mm. the thing, if you'd have asked me beforehand, I'd have expected her to stand there with her arms folded. Yeah. Mm. So, Although she, I talked to her about it afterwards, and, you know, because one of the, the virtues of these trips, as we all know in our own ways, is you kind of you have a bit of a drink on the way back on the plane, and it's a bit more relaxed because uh, you don't have to brief hacks or anything on, on the way back and you do on the way out but I said you know I just sort of introduced the topic and she said well that's what I would have done if I'd been in my constituency at a school mm-hmm. you know if some kids had sort of come up and done a bit of a spontaneous dance I would have moved around a bit and I always, yeah. find, I always find that um, it really quite hard because you, you go out, especially when you do the comms job you go out and you feel this huge responsibility and pressure um, to try and communicate who your boss is and what they're what they're about, mm. and you you know who they are, and there's a real um, responsibility on you to try and do the best because you are re- representing somebody else. Yeah, and I think in that way, the person who does communications or people who do communications in Whitehall quite often have the more stressful task. Um, because it really is it's that personal relationship and if you if you get that wrong or some, somehow you don't communicate yeah. that well to the to the waiting hacks yeah. or you, you miss the point actually you have done something wrong because so much of it is is on you but it is personal as well in a way that if a policy goes wrong yeah somebody's made a mistake but it's not a reflection on the minister personally yeah. in a way that if the comms go wrong or the speech lands badly yes yeah, it's, it's very personal yeah. yeah and also you know that the the judgment is is so fine do we use this word do we do we use this picture is this the place we're going to go to to illustrate what we're trying to say here mm. um and so i think you probably live with a lot more anxiety about <laughs> what you're actually trying to communicate <laughs> so what, what are we talking about then what's your what was your day like let's start with you paul yeah. what time do you get up what time do you finish how many calls do you get how many stupid questions for people like me? Uh, so, well, I'll, yeah, I'll try and do, with the obvious caveat, there's no such thing as a typical day. And obviously it's slightly different when you go abroad somewhere. So I do yeah. quite a lot of travel as part of the job. Um, but you, this morning, I involuntarily work up at half past five, despite the fact I am unemployed uh, <laughs> and have nothing to do. You're just excited <laughs> about coming onto the web. I was. Well, <laughs> uh, you're giddy that Christmas. So woke up at half past five, which is what I would usually do, reached for iPad by bed, which is how I consumed you'd realised that I didn't have to do that anymore. Stopped slightly. But yeah, the sort of half past five, six o'clock, wake up. We then used to do an eight o'clock meeting with chief of staff in the cabinet room. Uh, and then we would do the 8.30 with a smaller group of people that was sort of the PM's start the day meeting in, in her office. Oh, her office, yeah. Yeah, so we do that. And one of the joys of that was that either James or I would have to deliver a kind of a media briefing. So we would have gone to all the papers, taken out key headlines, a little bit on you know, contents of things that either we thought we would need an answer on later in the day or something where we needed to make the boss aware. And then we would uh, talk through broadcast and just sort of a general overview of what we thought the day was going to be like, uh, which was always accurate. Um, <laughs> then, Did you, um, when you're doing that, and you're doing the... This is what's in the papers, Prime Minister. Yeah. To what extent did that sort of change over time? Because obviously there were sort of the giddy days to begin with, and then obviously the press was less good later on. Did you just? It was pretty unvarnished, to be yeah. honest. I think you're not. You may as if you're going to give a false picture of stuff that 
you know we do need to respond to and we do need to manage then there's probably not that much point doing and, it so and is it right she wasn't a big reader of the papers it was variously briefed at times mm, not quite right no there were always there was always one or two newspapers on her desk and every now and again she would confront you with something from the business section or once in my case uh, a criticism of something she'd worn in the fashion pages of the times uh uh, that I had simply hadn't got to, uh, and so I had to either flannel or admit that I hadn't made it that deep in the page. She complained that you hadn't spotted it, or that she you... talked about something that no, I, it I was oh, I see. of which I was not totally because you ignorant. were responsible for the fashion. No, 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 uh, <laughs> not my department. Although, um, sort of jumping around a bit, but I once one of the odder uh, mornings I had was she was due to be in the Commons either for PMQs or for a statement which we ended up doing quite a lot of and I would do a briefing after all day so basically every time the PM spoke in the House for whatever reason the outfit the PM was wearing that day was exactly the same as that day's Times cartoon which wasn't particularly complimentary (laughs) and so I asked I told the PM this and I I asked her whether she'd mind sort of changing jacket which she uh, which she did with good grace but um yeah, that was a, that was a strange. It's funny, isn't it? The kind of things that you have to worry about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so just finish off your yeah, day. So, 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 so then, so then, if it's a Wednesday, or you've got a statement which presumably took up your, most of your life, you're sort of yeah. preparing for that, sitting through it for as long as you can bear it before going out and facing huddle. Yes. So that was yeah. There would be structured things that would uh, that would happen at sort of certain points every week when you're at home. So PMQ prep takes up. Yeah, most of Wednesday morning, bit of Tuesday afternoon. Uh, then there are sort of set piece meetings. Obviously, cabinet every Tuesday morning uh, for varying durations. Uh, certain policy subcommittees, often related to Europe, and then other set pieces like you know regular NSC meetings and things like that, which dominate PM's diary. She had a lot of bilaterals with other ministers, which, I, I, to be honest, I think you know, it's obviously a virtue of effectively. Um, minority government but also you know, I think that is the way policy gets agreed and just as a bit of an illustration about the fact that things take longer to develop than we always perhaps think from the outside the NHS plan which was something we were all proud of and I think the right thing to do that must have taken six months of meetings to get out the door with the treasury with NHS England with all the various stakeholders mm-hmm. so these things take a lot more preparation than you think at the moment when you're actually ready to jump the fence and put the thing you've been working on into the public domain. And are you sitting in on all those meetings? Some of them, not all of them. Um, But yeah, I mean, you have to, everyone here knows you have to give advice about how things will land and, you know, you can't brief policy without understanding it. You can't. and, and, and vice versa, really. And you also have to find the meeting. This is the first thing that struck me when I started. It's like there is no... You really have to invite yourself and find the meeting yourself. Nobody's going to tell you. You really are sort of given a phone and a, a, and a work-from-home laptop and then sort of, you know, you're off. So actually finding the key ones... No, I never actually got it working. You never use it. <laughs> <laughs> couldn't operate it. Well, the laptop scared. or the phone? Uh, phone, very proficient. Laptop, too scared to tell IT. I couldn't use it. <laughs> <laughs> so just finish off, How? what time do you finally get to go to bed so it would depend you know you you need to you have a, a reasonable idea most of the time but not all the time yeah. what people are splashing on the next day through conversations that you've had during the day but the front pages drop at sort of 10 o'clock half past 10 on twitter you need to know what they were i've always been personally more of a night owl than i'm a morning person so you know midnight maybe a little bit after yeah. uh, it's wow. quite consistent to do 18 hour days i, I mean in, in even what people think of as the slow period, because that is the the systematic way in which you have to work. So why do you do it? Why do you do 18-hour days of being berated by your boss, berated by journalists, 
you know, trapped in this sort of halfway house? What makes you be a spad? Well, I think there's there's several reasons and lots of lots of different people will have lots of different reasons to do it. I think fundamentally it's cliched, but um, it's because we want to make a difference and we think we can. I suppose all of a sudden, I don't hope, hope you don't mind me saying this, we're all political nerds to a certain extent, so it's actually quite interesting. I think the, nerds, the red box is a safe space for nerds. <laughs> <laughs> but we are, we're, we're political nerds and it's kind of, if you want to be in apparatchik world, being a spad is probably the most fun, interesting thing mm, that you yeah. can do. Yeah. And we've all sort of served a long, a long time in government. I mean, five years for Paul and myself and three for James. Mm. And I think it's it's gruelling and it's punishing. But actually, once the novelty of the, the bits and bobs wear off, you know, kind of getting waved through security places and going on these interesting trips and meeting sort of world leaders, once that wears off, actually, you get down to the... Um, the crux of the business and it really is interesting in the way that you can influence policy and and make things better for people and also just a professional sense of how you can try and sell a policy or sell your minister in a particular way there is a a massive satisfaction that comes from that. I think being in the room and having that influence without having to have the public profile that an MP or or minister (laughs) does was also (laughs) one of the things I I remember we had uh, it was it was actually it was that football uh, semi-final uh, they invited all of the Conservative MPs into number 10 to watch to watch it um, in one of the in one of the state rooms and I remember watching because obviously all the MPs were sort of lined up row after row sort of sitting down watching it and then um, the party chairman and the chief whip were on the side sort of like teachers sort of watching and keeping check and I thought you know what? I think I'll I think I'll stick to the behind the scenes. <laughs> Do any of you have ambitions to be an MP? I'd be terrible. No, I'd be well, terrible. That means yes. <laughs> that, that doesn't exclude you. Oh, yeah. and that's, <laughs> it's also that's a very good non-denial. Okay, a realization of terribleness, but also no. Yeah, Salma. I would never rule it out. That's an also that's a very good spin, doctor's not. Yeah. yeah, no, but, that, but because actually, but like I say, if you're a political nerd, Westminster always draws you back in one way or another. Okay, but in a sec, I want to. Um, we'll talk about whether or not it really is like the thick of it, and we'll talk about what is happening in politics right now. We'll be back after this short break. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
Welcome back. You're listening to the Red Box Podcast with me, Matt Chorley, uh, joined in the studio by three former Spads, Sam Shark, James Johnson and Paul Harrison. Right, is being a Spad like the thick of it? The thick of it is the thing that people most, you know, there's obviously Yes Minister is older. Is it more like Yes Minister than the thick of it? James, <laughs> you're all... I mean, de- so, so most of it is. I'm, I'm, I'm afraid, uh, you know, a lot of it is just actually quite hard work and less excitement, um, which is always the boring answer. I remember, uh, I remember um, Eric Pickles said this to me once. He said, "Yeah, politics is actually." quite boring uh, the day to day and you know the amount of work you've got to get through in the paperwork but that aside you do have some slightly ridiculous moments um i, th- I remember on the eve of one uh, budget we were trying or a uh, party conference it was actually the eve of a party conference we were trying to clear a policy through the treasury um which was not the easiest place to clear um expensive policies through um and uh, i had done a bit of polling on the policies and shared it a week before it had influenced um you know what we were doing and i sort of thought that had been done in the system um and uh Sort of two uh, very senior people in number ten came bursting into my room um, with about half an hour to go before the policies were meant to be signed off, saying, "James, get the polling to the chancellor. Run down the corridor. You know, show him the polling on this particular policy." And I literally <laughs> had to sort of burst in and go, "Here's the polling. It's <laughs> this ridiculous uh, situation." And but, did it work? Uh, it, it did. I don't know whether it was a direct result of the uh, the polling, but it did. It was the was it fuel um, duty. Uh, it was the um, uh, stamp duty on foreign landlords uh, measure that was brought in um, at the last party conference, uh, which the public <laughs> loved, by the way. I was going to say, did you really need polling on that? Yeah. <laughs> no, this was something. This was a this was a very salient thing with the public because it was about um, making sure that um, making sure that foreign landlords um, couldn't be exempt from from stamp duty. Um, so it was actually a pretty pretty big deal. <laughs> Paul, mm. are you the Malcolm Tucker? You weren't really Malcolm Tucker. No. Generally speaking, I think if you're nice to people when you can be then uh that's a better way of dealing with uh with people and you can get as frustrated as you like with journalists uh which occasion very occasionally i did but you know they always have another paper and they always have more airtime to fill so they are ultimately always going to get the last word and once you realize the essential powerlessness of your position then you, <laughs> it's much easier to accept um no i i, I tried to I, I don't know what people outside number 10 would say but having been a sort of uh, DH Spad, uh, you know, you know what it's like when you feel you're not being treated fairly uh, on rare occasions. So I tried not to do that. But I mean, there are obviously elements of farce in some of all that, like having to tell the prime minister to get changed because she's wearing uh, <laughs> she's wearing the same outfit as, a, as an uncomplimentary cartoon. Uh, you know, but, but I mean, ultimately, it's it, it's too easy to answer this question, I suppose, in too earnest a way. But ultimately, most politicians are people who could be earning more money doing something else with greater anonymity, less intrusion. And, you know, they're tr- they're trying in their own way to make a little bit of difference in the world. Now, they don't always succeed. Uh, they don't always get the best advice. There are definitely occasions where I'd hold my hands up to that. But, you know, it, it's kind of there is something a little bit noble at the heart of all of this uh you know whatever whatever people might yeah. might think out there yeah the i world. think it's 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 much too easy to caricature what we do and, and exaggerate it in that way but you know um all of us have had some really really trying um issues so mm. whether it's with i mean and again without wanting to sound too earnest but whether it's sort of terror attacks or Grenfell or in my case a steel crisis you know mm. you do all that kind of yes minister stuff um it gets put it gets put to one side because actually you've got really important things that you need to get on with mm. so Sammy you were on the outside at the home office and uh, 
Department for Biz and Ministry for Housing. What was your relationship like with number 10? Variable. <laughs> <laughs> Would I be wrong to speculate that the relationship changed at around the point of the 2017 election? Uh, I think that's probably fair to say. I think that's probably true of most departments. <laughs> well, so the whole government. I think most journalists would also agree. So the, yeah. the departure of uh, Nick Timothy and Fiona Hill did change the relationship across Whitehall. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's probably too much to put it down to those two people, but certainly coming back, having lost a majority, um, probably made it a little bit easier to, to deal with number 10. Um, I think it is true of any administration Uh, where the power is held so centrally, you are always going to get friction and tension. It was true in a David Cameron government, it's true in a Theresa May government, and it is likely to be true um, in a Boris Johnson administration. So that is just a fact of life. Um, I think you can manage that relationship uh, if you have um, trust between the special advisers that are occupying both those, uh, a department or number 10. And I think you will always probably um rub each other up the wrong way at some point because the conflict is when your when your secretary of state wants to do something different to the prime minister there will always be conflict and will this do you think this dominic cummings plan will work that he's personally in charge of all special advisors is it just i don't think it's ever been not the case okay yeah every spaz contract is with the pm of the day it always has been by extension so I don't, I don't really know. But is it, is it just what new administration, much like Nick and Fee did the same thing, new administrations want to say, oh, it's all going to be different now, it's all, you know, everything's got to come through number 10. Yeah. And then over time they realise they can't micromanage everything. That, that's one of the key things that I learned from this whole period is how important personal authority of the PM is in, is in British politics. Yeah. You know, before that 2017 general election, um, it wasn't just about the people in number 10, it was just the PM just automatically had that power because people wanted jobs, people wanted promotions, they thought she was going to be around for the next 10 years. After that 2017 general election, you know, that even though actually the number of seats that were changed were not that great, that personal authority just just fell away. What's happening now is that um, the new Prime Minister is experiencing this boost to his personal authority because he's got in, because he's got in on 66% of the vote, um, and, you know, he's got the patronage. People think he will be he will be there. But it will you decline. Know, it, yeah, it is not, and especially in a hung... You know, it all depends on the number of seats you have as well. You know, especially in a hung parliament, it's going to be very difficult for him to retain that for very long. And once that... Um control and power seeps away is that when people like you Sam just start running amok and doing what you like <laughs> I actually think most special advisors don't run amok I think you can probably point to a handful <laughs> very small handful yeah. a small handful who do and it is and even though it's a small number they can be incredibly detrimental yeah. to the perception of the government of the day but it is interesting the um that some of the people who have been most enthusiastic at running amok are now quite senior in the new administration <laughs> it's interesting to see how that dynamic yeah i'm mentioning no names but the i mean i, I think ultimately I, i'm sorry for uh, if this is coming across uh, in a insufficiently sensationalist fashion for listeners to this podcast but like when things go wrong the vast majority of the times it's cock up not conspiracy yeah. and i remember once actually salma and i exchanged not a crossword but you know we had a word after uh, uh, after a cabinet because um, Sajid was then Home Secretary and would were bringing forward a, sort of a policy measure which he discussed at cabinet which is entirely the right thing to do and we weren't entirely across the media plans that you had and we put it in the cabinet readout which slightly 
you know, yes, I do remember which, which which meant that you know it was it was you know earnestly done because we thought yeah, or like done because it, we just thought ahead of the game you know where it's I actually this it. is so, yeah. so this is the, this is the end of every cabinet you come in you or the press secretary the, yeah. the official spokesman yeah. tell journalists some of what was discussed at the cabinet and yeah. you basically let the cat out of the bag before Salma wanted it out yeah exactly and uh, you know it was a it was a very good thing to do the government was united behind it and uh, yeah but for whatever reason the fact that we had uh, put only a line or two in, had you know woken the entire lobby up to the fact that this was happening and, and you were doing a visit or something is, the next other day. Other spads across government don't get the lobby readout. So I used to make a point of it after that incident to get the lobby readout yep. to say what has actually gone out and what do we need to prepare for? Because all Apologies. of a sudden my phone started <laughs> erupting <laughs> like midday and people were asking me about this huge new policy that was coming and I was like, um... I'll so, get back to you. So, mm. so some, you said sometimes things go wrong. What, what's the worst? What, what, what's the worst thing that's happened to you as a spad? Uh, <laughs> um, it's, 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 a, it's a strange uh, slow burner because that last two years, the, the job insecurity, and I mean, it's a bit of a first world problem because you're working in number ten. But the job insecurity, uh, <laughs> you know, was 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 so high. I remember going into a, I mean, I remember going into a focus group, which you know, last ninety minutes or so. And I was just sort of sitting down. You know, people were getting cups of tea and stuff. You know, to bring and sit down. And some guy uh, uh, said, um, you know, this was in Walsall or something. Said, oh, I've just seen on my phone, and um, the government's collapsed. And I genuinely didn't know for the rest of the ninety minutes because I couldn't check my phone whether whether it had. <laughs> and I thought, if this is how I find out um, that I've lost my job, um, that will be. Quite and was it? Was it, no, it had. No, no. I think it was. Uh, I think we'd lost a. We'd lost a vote. I think. Oh well, that's um, you know, which, yeah, but, yeah, exactly. Completely standard these days. What about you, Paul? What was the worst thing that happened to you? I think one of the trickiest and most unexpected days won't come as a surprise uh conference 2017 so we'd have a reasonably good run of it in in the run-up and everyone knows you work quite hard around those set piece events to you know get your policies ready and make sure the speech is good and uh the last act of any conference is the person who does my job has to do a huddle with the hacks uh and you know explain what it was that was in the speech what it meant you know, and again, you do that all on the record, and it tends to last quite a long time. Um, well, particularly because there tends to be quite a lot in it. There, there'll yeah, be some flagship exactly. stuff, but there's quite a lot of yeah. So you you can you try and something. deconstruct, you know, how much the policy costs, how you're going to implement it, how it actually works, you know, all that sort of stuff. So, but, you ha- but what were all the questions about in 2017? So I have, this is my first one, and spads and other departments don't have to do this on the record stuff if they don't want to uh, in that kind of set piece way. So. You know, I was a little bit nervous about it. And so in order to help me through, I had memorised six things that were in the speech that I wanted to kind of flag up. And nobody remembers now, this is obviously the the conference with the fake P45 and bits of the stage falling to pieces and uh, and the PM having a very bad cough. Uh, but... I'm trying not to laugh. You know, it's, honestly, it's just, you know, so awful. But, so <laughs> it was that conference. But and I bet nobody remembers, and I'm sure, as I listeners here, will have paid more attention than most... That was a speech in which she chose to confide something she hadn't really ever talked about, which was her regret about the fact that she and Philip had never been able to have children. Like, there were intensely personal moments yeah. in there that, you know, really didn't get a wider audience because, you know, of everything that happened. And going into it, the PM's voice had been quite bad. She'd, she'd had a, a visit to see some British troops overseas uh, and she'd been speaking in the square and her voice was going a bit, but it was kind of improving during the week and... We'd done a bit of a run-through on Tuesday night and everything seemed like it would be all right. And anyway, everybody knows what happened. But 
so I'd memorized these six things and I'd, I'd walked out confronted by probably 60 journalists uh, who were excitable uh, <laughs> should we say and instead of saying the six things that I'd memorized I just said Greater Manchester Police have arrested a man for a breach of the peace. <laughs> and that was that. And so when the speech is happening, where were you at that point? Behind the stage, uh, there was a sort of, just a little setup with some chairs and, and, oh, and a TV. So you could see it. You know, we, And there was nothing you could do? Yeah. Absolutely nothing. I mean... Does it go through your mind to try and stop the speech? Uh, it's not in, at that point it isn't in your control yeah. I and mean, yeah. any of us once the ministers or the PM in this case has started talking you know the only person who can take themselves off the stage is them yeah. uh, you know and it was you know some of the asides I thought were quite funny and you know but it it just wasn't what any of us expected and uh, yeah and James what was the impact of that speech because actually lots of I mean Grant Shapps in particular famously decided that, that having a cough was grounds alone for someone to be removed as Prime Minister but actually the public reaction was pretty positive wasn't it yeah and actually that was a pretty big turning point uh, with, with with the public between that sort of june 2017 after the election and that conference um you know i have to say that the response um to the prime minister and the focus groups and the polling was pretty negative um uh, you know they sort of talked about calling the election and then not not getting through it and you know her performance during the campaign that cough actually had exactly the reverse effect that we expected which was people were sort of started to say well, actually, fair play. You know, she kept going. Um, you know, she's quite persistent. Which became, she's the, quite which resilient. became the manager for the next two years. Which, if which, nothing else, she kept going. Exactly. And actually, you know, that was something <laughs> that... Uh, <laughs> uh, that was something uh, that people kept coming back to, actually, this resilience and persistence, which, um, which you know, was, was, was seen as a, as a great character trait, not just a sort of old by the by, but actually that's a really good thing. And interestingly, um, you know, in the in the quantitative polling we did it was always that resilience which was having a big effect on on vote choice as well and what about your what was your worst day in the job um i think it was the uh 29th of march um when we had uh, obviously the day we were meant to leave um when there was also another meaningful vote on that day um which was also defeated i think the third the third one i think the third yeah. one in a row yeah. um that had been defeated and and that was a really sort of uh difficult day because um you know, it, it three times really did feel like you yeah. know the maximum we, we we were able to push it and uh and and you know to see it sort of go down to that level and to see it go down to that level on that day i remember leaving number 10 quite late at night out the out the back gate because you couldn't get out the front because of the protesters um and not only you know was the mood obviously bad inside the building but as i came out i just sort of saw like this phalanx of police you know walking down the the street outside number 10 and just sort of thought oh God, what what's happened? What have what have we what have we what are the costs of not not achieving this? And you wrote a piece for uh, Red Box this week talking about making doing your presentations in cabinet and mm. putting up scary graphs on the TV screen and yeah. Boris Johnson in particular choosing not to look at them. Um, what's that? What's that like? Does that ever go wrong? Do you ever? Do people just sit and listen quietly, or do you have to explain yourself? Yeah, so it's it's really bizarre, and I hadn't really expected this at the time. But you um, you, you sit at the table with them. You know, I expect it to be sort of stood next to a screen, you know, um, away. But actually, you're sat, you know, sandwiched in between two 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 cabinet ministers uh, giving giving the presentation. Interestingly, because it's political cabinet, it doesn't actually take place in the cabinet room because civil servants aren't allowed aren't allowed in. So it happens upstairs in the pillar room in number uh, ten. Okay. Um, yeah, it was quite intense, um, especially the one I did after the 2017 election but everybody's 
uh, very polite and then sort of the way it happens is that you do the presentation and then sort of people go around the room and sort of say their say their piece and ask a few questions um, that particular one that I wrote about was the um, was after the uh, 2017 um, uh, election um, sort of a bit of a post-mortem into it and I look at the polling since uh, one person there said it was the most depressing thing they'd ever heard in this room um, so uh, so I <laughs> hope I at least point. gave the truth yeah. yes up to <laughs> <laughs> indeed if I've got worse what about you Summer worst worst thing that happened can happen to us bad oh well i think i have to say that it was uh the the night of the uh, 2017 general election result because you know you as a spad as a political operative you know winning elections is your thing it's the thing that you live for and um to have lost it after this huge expectation and to understand what the ramifications were of that loss. Um, and you were in CCHQ that yeah, night? Yeah, I was in CCHQ that night. Well, how would you describe the mood? Total and utter shock. The exit polls read out. I was there for the 2015 general election, and of course there was a massive cheer. <laughs> and you could hear a pin drop with the silence um, that then met that announcement. Yeah, that well. Famously retching. Was there retching in a bin? It was reported at the time. I didn't think. Oh, no, I thought that was Craig Oliver on referendum night. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you might be right. Someone yeah. passed out, I think. Um, Someone did pass a, out. Yeah. Medical, medical issue. Wow. A pre existing medical issue. A pre existing yes. The giddiness of, a, of an exit poll. <laughs> okay, but just, just finally then, let's just touch on what do you think. Why is it that you are all currently unemployed? And uh, what, would you, what advice would you give to your successors who are embarking on this brave new adventure? Well, I mean, in, in my case, being someone's spokesman, being one of two, is quite a personal relationship and there's a certain amount of trust that's involved and I don't think it's unsurprising necessarily that someone might want to bring in someone yeah. that they know I suppose and it was that more, they work with. What, what do you think uh, it was that went wrong for the May government? It's not one single thing, but it's the very hackneyed Lyndon Johnson quote, politics is about knowing how to count and when you have an incredibly divisive issue that is incredibly divisive for the governing party and when you don't have a majority and when you're reliant on people uh, in the DUP for whom you know parts of probably one of the most vexed issues of the Brexit conundrum you know, relates directly to them I mean it's, it's difficult isn't it uh, so you know as I said there's, there's not one single thing but uh, I think we are. When we look back, we will say that we tried everything we could, and there are outstanding people who work with me and who are still working in Number Ten, the civil servants, the press office, the private office, who are brilliant and you know will give just the same support that we had. Uh, you know, so it's as I say, it's not one single thing, but you know, we tried as hard as we could. And is it just an impossible puzzle to solve? It's not impossible, no, but it's very, very hard. So, advice then, what advice would you give to your successor? Uh, I mean, I, I don't know if uh, in any forum it's, it's helpful to do <laughs> public stuff, but yeah, I, I will probably have a pint with, uh, with the new press secretary uh, in the next week or so, and that's something I've offered because there is a sort of informal press secretary's union, the person who did it for <laughs> David Cameron, uh, sometimes has lunch with me, and, you know, and it is helpful just because so, you, you confront the same problems yeah. and uh, solutions and the way you communicate them, you know, you can at least stop someone making the same mistakes. So, yeah. James, was did the public make up their minds much earlier on and then just not shift? I mean, it was. Is there any? Did the public opinion change as much as we like to think they do? I mean, they're not they're not following everything as closely as we do. 
was it always destined to end up where we, where we did? Uh, no, I don't think it was. I mean, uh, you know, it was only really sort of after March 29th, actually, that, that the sort of, you know, the polls really changed and, and opinion opinion shifted. Um, I, I think, uh, I, I mean, the public is incredibly volatile um, and, you know, they are, we're currently seeing, you know, shifts very quickly depending on, you know, what happens each day. So, you know, I think there is a degree to which, um, you know, there is higher sort of interest and, and observation of, of what's going on in politics at the moment. Um, I think the key bit of advice I think I, I'd give is, um, is that it's just so important to have a functioning number 10 that isn't sort of torn apart by factions within it and that was one of the that was one of the the things i think we did do relatively well i remember talking to a few Mm. people who'd been at number 10 in the brown years um where actually you had sort of um you know different parts of the building special advisors actually briefing against each other in the press and you know big sort of you know bust ups it's much more fun for people like me uh, it, it is, it is. Um, you have been starved of the use of late what we wouldn't have given for some blared round tensions <laughs> so I think I think actually you know and and you know it looks like there's going to be some big personalities in in number 10 um, I think trying to you know make sure that they're working across the building effectively and don't fall into that trap I think that's a really important thing that they should, should think about hmm. Salma advice for your successor whether it um, working for Sajid at the Treasury or back at the Home Office? Oh, God, there's so much advice I want to give because there's so many things that I've done wrong uh, that I'd like to <laughs> <laughs> correct. Well, it's time to, to offload them. <laughs> I, think, I think the first bit of advice I'd give is that actually when you go in as a special advisor, you think of yourself a, as totally at odds with the civil service. And um, I think that's the wrong way to think about it. I think you've got to be complementary and you give political advice. You can't hope to um, achieve a level of expertise over the person that, I don't know, runs immigration enforcement in the Home Office and you should make friends and, and see it as a partnership. So that's the first bit of advice. Secondly, going back to Paul's point about talking to journalists, you catch flies with honey. And I think that you actually have to respect the people that you work with, particularly in the lobby, because they've got a job to do and their job is holding you to account and rightly so. Um, So you should respect that role that that they play. Um, And I think finally, it's never a, a bad thing to have integrity. I think particularly, I'm afraid to say in the May years, because discipline had broken down so much, Um, I think a lot of apparatchiks would have looked around and thought, well, maybe I should get in on this game of briefing against various people or briefing against the the central hub at number 10. And actually, if it's not something that you would do as a person in your regular life, don't do it in your job that is so important and so influential and makes a difference to so many people. Very good. Very good. Well, just before we finish, um, next week... Redbox emails turns five. I wasn't there at the beginning. Um, Phil Webster was doing it. But we've been looking back. I mean, basically, it seems like Redbox launched and then politics went insane soon after because we had the, the Scottish... Well, you know, I think we've all got to own up. <laughs> um, we had the Scottish referendum, which then became, you know, the 2015 election. Or whatever. So we've been asking people for their most... their sort of favourite, most memorable thing which happened in politics. Quite a lot of them have been silly. Samuel, you've already suggested. What have you suggested on Twitter? <laughs> Sachi Javid holding a lamb in a baby grow. Yeah, the lamb was wearing a baby grow. The grove, lamb was wearing a baby I mean, grow. It, it would be le- no less weird if uh, if Sajid was wearing the baby grow. There was a photo he went to a, like an old people's home. Yeah, and they just handed him some lamb and I saw a lamb in this baby grow. <laughs> I saw it on the, the local newspaper. 
but there were, there were absolutely loads. So we're going to pull them all together for Redbox later this week. Um, whether it's you know Liz Truss's this that is a disgrace speech. Still one of my favourite things. I've, I, I've that ever makes seen. me laugh. I like I like to listen I back. Still to that go back to what Stuart Jackson's victory speech in Peterborough in 2015, where he says you've taken a beating tonight. There's plenty more where that comes from, <laughs> uh, which he then lost two years later. Um, there's loads. What have you got? Anything that immediately springs to mind, Paul and James, or Sam? If you want to add to the the ba- the lambs baby grow. Well, the 2015 victory was pretty. Do you know? Sweet. I, I, I really need to not fall into the earnest trap, but the kind of people sometimes when they know what my job is and people that maybe I haven't seen for a while, if I like see them at a party or, or whatever. Uh, just come up to you with a look of great concern and sort of hand on the shoulder. Are you all, are you all right? Are you all right? And I'm struggling to adjust to the fact a little bit that I'm 33 and I've just finished the most interesting job that I'm ever going to do. I had the most enormous amount of fun, actually. Went to 28 different countries, you know, uh, worked with fantastic, dedicated people. Like it's, it's an amazing thing to be able to do and it's quite a privilege, so I'm not sure quite when... Uh, Paul, can you just give us something yeah. lighthearted? However, every single lobby now. However, <laughs> uh, and though he is my former boss, so I feel bad to, for raising this, but the moment of Jeremy attempting to ring that bell on the deck of HMS that, Bell that, that will do. I mean, strictly speaking, that was in 2012, so it's outside the parameters, but I'll let you have that. I think we can include it in terms of I think, mania. Yeah, Jeremy Hunt uh, tried to ring a bell, uh, and the bell end flying off was terrific. Uh, James? Probably, probably will go back to the, the conference dancing, because there was just that squeal of delight in the room <laughs> and, mm. and the utter absurdity of it um, uh, and, and showed a very human side to our former boss. And actually when we come to look back on the regime that you've just emerged from in 10, 15, 20 years time people yeah. will remember that dancing probably more than whether or not the Malthouse compromise got through on the third reading of the meaningful vote. Or Let's hope so. Yeah, no one remembers any of the policy from Africa. such a pleasure to have you all on particularly because you're now allowed to be real life human beings and not sources and insiders and people allies and friends and all of that sort of thing and none of us ever did that no of course not of course not i mean (laughs) other people other people other people might have done that but luckily of course you never did Uh, my huge thanks to paul harrison uh, james johnson and salma shah don't forget to subscribe to my morning email at the times.co.uk forward slash red box although it is taking a lovely long break for the end of this week because I'm very tired. Um, subscribe to the podcast, though, on iTunes, Acast, Spotify, wherever you listen, because we've got loads of specials coming up over the summer. But for now, for me, Matt Chorley, it's goodbye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.